You're now listening to Cinco Squad. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan with Cinco Squad. We're back here for another week with my bros, Trey Day, Grandpa Jay, and Mike A. Of course. How you guys (laughs) doing today? Doing good, man. I'm home for a show. Yes, sir. You're not in an office. No, sir. Hey, not stuck in the office. Jamie is a happy Jamie. That's correct. <laughs> no, the, it's going well. It's going well right now. We're in the middle of playoffs, and it's exciting. Playoffs? Playoffs? I just hope we Trey can Day. win a game. Trey Day, how's your day going? Uh, just living a dream, man. You know, <laughs> spend another day, get another good show in. You know, yeah. doing sports as usual. Of course, of course. Being the playoffs, I did some research and I was not able to confirm whether this may have the Celtics spoil it, but may have been the first time where there would have been clean sweeps in conference finals in both hockey and basketball in the same year. I don't mm. think that's ever it, happened. I don't think it's ever happened ever. Yeah. It, it's never happened in basketball, so yeah. I'm pretty sure. In hockey, it's just crazy. <laughs> it's never happened in basketball. Yeah. Right? It was funny. I was talking to Malin's uncle about that last night because we were watching a game together at the house, and he was basically like. So how's the hockey going? I'm like, they're in like 3-0, 3-0 right now. Yeah. And he's like, no way. I'm like, yeah. He goes, that's nuts. When's the last time that happened? I don't think I, I was like, I don't think it ever has. So um that, that's big a good gap, point. Right? Like if, if the heat had won, mm-hmm. we're looking at a whole week without basketball. So yeah, that- that's the thing. That's what we were talking about earlier this week, Trey and I, about how there's such a big gap in between, but yeah. the NHL schedule is not really set because they're flexing it. So yeah. like it's gonna be a three-day break between the final game. Yep. Mm-hmm. They have it tentatively next Saturday. Not this Saturday, next Saturday, June 3rd. So it's like you have, you know. In, Just to in account games, for the possible games. Yeah. Yeah, game yeah. seven would be Wednesday. So, yeah. Right. But, yeah, bros, we got a lot of good. I mean, my heat, I'm still a little nervous, Jay. I know I know that you said don't be nervous, but I am nervous. I'm nervous. So I'm not, I'm not happy until I see another one of these hats. Don't be nervous. Born. So. <laughs> not but with Mikey, Butler at the helm. Mikey, ah, yes. Mike, yes. What is in yes. your cup today, Mike? Well, I, can you give us a hint? What is ha! It? <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you that did. Was, and I like that. It. Was that was pure? <laughs> if I all right, Trey, you're trying to say Trey, Trey you can own. I have a red solo cup. I don't think <laughs> you're going college style. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I really have Rewind. a <laughs> Well, I don't have a red solo cup, but I do have a cup this week. And it is filled Ooh. with this, which is a concoction made primarily of A&W cream soda, but with a shooter of dough ball cookie dough whiskey. What in the hell? That is the biggest injustice to whiskey cookie I've dough seen whiskey. in my life. Cookie dough and whiskey. Come well, on. My wife has peanut butter whiskey. And the, and the... Peanut butter whiskey ain't bad. I also got a peanut butter whiskey shooter along with it. So <laughs> that may be the, So spoilers for next week. Survey says, Mikey. It's good. It's very good. Good. Yeah. It's good. Very sweet. Again, another one of the many things I've had on this show where I will say, if you don't like sweet drinks, probably don't if drink. If your tooth ain't sweet, then you ain't part of Mikey's crew. I realized that on my part of the weekend when he had that big ass margarita oh, yeah. that was full of sugar oh, yeah. and, and, and alcohol and he was just like oh this is good love i'm like you know, love and life good. So, 48 ounces was it was it 48 ounces i, don't I think know. quite a bit I think. Yeah, it was more than that it was like almost a gallon <laughs> it quite was big 
How, Grandpa Jay, how'd you how'd your bets do this week? How my who do this week? Your bets. Oh, last week, not so good. Yeah, last week, last so, week, man. Last week, if if there's such thing as a push, it wouldn't mean a push because there were a couple of draws. Um, mm. So Leicester did draw, and so did Liverpool, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So Liverpool now needs a lot of help to get into the Champions League. We had, I think the Lakers kind of threw game three away there. So I thought that, that one would have been the one that would have won. We know that, that that game could have been in the back. Such is. They're no longer in the playoffs. They're yeah. not kind of nature of the game, right? That's, so, unfortunately, one and four with, with two draws as opposed to wins that I called. And we're going to do better this week, though. This week is going to be a better week. And here's why this week's going to be a better week, ladies and gentlemen. Because the Heels, like some people like to call them, have bounced back from every loss this year, whether it's at home or on the road. They have followed up with the W. And they're giving me seven and a half points this week. Come on, Vegas. Thank you for the gift. So I'm taking the heat at seven and a half tomorrow night in Boston because whether they lose the game or not, they ain't losing the game by more than eight points. It'll be an extremely close game. I'm calling overtime, actually. And just like in the Milwaukee series, I think the heat win in overtime to close the series out. And then the comeback kings of hockey right now, the Vegas Knights, will come back and there'll be more woes and all Dallas. Did another Dallas team just lose in the playoffs? Yes, the Stars go out tomorrow night in Dallas. Vegas sweeps. Mm -hmm. So you got Vegas sweeping that series. Then we take it across the pond where Leeds is playing Tottenham. It's the last weekend of the Prem and everything on the line now. So Tottenham has nothing left to play for, and Leeds has everything to play for. If Leeds do not win, they're relegated. Normally, this match, you see a lot of goals being scored. I'm going to have Leeds playing an inspired match at home to, to hopefully save their chances. If Leicester wins, they probably still go out. They do need some help as well, but they're going to fight. And I got my boy Zach Eflin on the mount tomorrow night, spend most of his career in Philly. Ever since he's come down to the Trop in Tampa, he started off the best he's ever had in his career. Best Got off to the best start in his career, sorry, 6-1. and one. Pitching great. He had a gem against the Yankees last time. Rays just, I don't know what the hell happened last night. 50 games into the season, number 20-1. to one. All of a sudden, we don't have the best run differential in baseball because we have positional players give up 11 runs in two innings. It's like, why would you even do that? Anyway, so... so like, we got Shane right the ship, and we have Eplin. And we haven't lost the home series yet other than Houston this year. So take the Rays over the Jays. And then here's where I might need the help of our viewers. The, the big match in England is Man United and Chelsea. And Liverpool is going to be cheering for Chelsea because if Chelsea beats Man United, then Man United is going to have to win their last game to hold off Liverpool if Liverpool wins to get into that Champions League fourth spot. I think Chelsea wants to play spoiler. At first, when I thought about this, I'm like, you know what? I should pick Man U because they're going to make sure they win this game. But Chelsea hates them. It would do, it would do, I mean, when I tell you it would satisfy Chelsea and their fans, <laughs> like, not, like no more than anything else to beat Man U and possibly have their season in, the, in, the, uh, in that hold that they have to win their last game or get a result and hope mm-hmm. that Liverpool lose because Liverpool has a better goal differential than them. Right. So here's the recap on it. Okay. Take the heat at seven and a half. Take Vegas on the road. Take Leeds over Tottenham because Tottenham have nothing left to play for and Leeds are playing for their life to stay alive in the Prem. 
Rays over Jays because we're going to win this home series. The Jays haven't been playing well other than that fluke last night. And the one you guys, you guys might go man you, but I'm going with the Chelsea, the, the Chelsea to, to play spoiler here. And that's my bets of the week, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to bounce back. We're going to have a better week. Come on. Let's go race. <laughs> All right, Jamie, thanks for easing my uh, my tension there because I know that we're going to talk about teams here that are not going to – that didn't make the playoff run that the Heat are making right now. Now we're going to talk about the biggest dis- team to disappoint in the playoffs and not make the NBA Finals. Um, this is a very interesting topic, and it's biggest team in the playoffs to not to disappoint. So not in the regular season or anything like that. Mikey, Mike, what is your team that is the biggest disappointment? So I went through, era. I went through a few teams um, in my research that kind of, I knew I recalled like were definitely disappointing in what they were supposed to do versus what they ended up doing. The one I ended up landing on was the 2018-2019 Boston Celtics. So they disappointed slightly in the regular season, but still ended up with a 49 and 33 record. I believe that was good for the three seed in the East. But going into the playoffs, there was still a lot of hype about them. I mean, they had the hype the whole year, despite the struggles, and went in with a roster of the following, which is what really stood out to me. Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Al Horford, and Scary Terry Rozier. Mm-hmm. That's the worst roster I've ever heard. That's the thing. On paper, that's like at least five all stars, and some right. of the best, and some of the best bench players in the league. They swept yeah. Indiana, so the hype built up, and then they got absolutely smoked by Milwaukee Demolished. in five. Demolished. They won game mm-hmm. one, and then got blown out in almost every, in the next four games. So that's what disappointed me. It's just going into the playoffs with, on paper, one of the best rosters you, you had seen in recent memory mm-hmm. and absolutely laying an egg to, yes, a one-seed Milwaukee team, but still a Milwaukee team that, again, on paper, they weren't – like Boston should have been way better than. Yeah, 100%. So that's that's a, good, that's that's a great one. I didn't even think of that. Team. That was wow. yeah, Giannis' coming out party in those yeah. players yeah. to make it to the yeah. finals. Yep. Yeah, so, Jamie, I'm interested to hear yours because I think I know what it is. But... I, I don't like reliving this moment in my life. I was a ginormous <laughs> Seattle Supersonics basketball I knew you were going to say this. I had the Sean Kemp jersey. I had the hats. I had the Seattle West Coast swag. Nobody around me was talking Supersonics basketball. Everybody was like, oh, they know a name or two. I knew the whole team. I would, I would love life when they finally had a Seattle game and they started showing more Seattle games because that team went 63-19 and 19 that year. It's a 93-94 season. By far, they, they dominated the league. In fact, their home record that year was 38-3, and three, three losses at home. And this is when they had five games in the first round. And Denver snuck in there as the eighth seed, started playing good basketball at the end of the year. And I'm like, man, we got Denver. We'll get them. They demolished them in the first two games. We go back to Denver. They... Denver goes on a run in the fourth, and then we lose game four in overtime, and I'm thinking, okay, this can't happen. They've only lost three home games. There's no way. Somehow they're up eight. Denver comes back in game five, forces an overtime. Denver wins game five, 
And you'll never forget the moment with Dikembe Mutombo holding the basketball. It's the worst nightmare of my life as a kid <laughs> on half court. And he's crying and he's putting the ball up there. So, I can't believe I've ever been there. No, 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 no. That's a very, very good Mutombo. Hated it. But here's what I loved about it is that, the, you know, at the time, the, the Nuggets had um, formerly known as Chris Jackson. Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. They had Lafonso Ellis. They had. Uh, they also had Reggie Williams at the time, who was just an absolute like just lights out shooter. But my main guy, who I really liked, was Dan Issel, the head coach, because he was a Kentucky guy, and he played his whole career in Denver. He was a scoring champ in Denver at one point. I think he had set the NBA single season record at the time for most like I think it was most points made in Denver franchise history or something like that. And the guy was just a phenomenal player, but it was a cool story to know a lifer with Denver was the first coach to take his team he played for as an eight seed to beat a That's one crazy. seed. And it was my boys. And that team was the team. I mean, people thought they were going to run through the NBA that year. Unfortunately, what happened was I think that was the Michael Jordan year off and the Rockets played the Knicks in first the 93-94 yeah. finals. Yep. And so that, I mean, that was that was theirs. And it wasn't a fluke either because they ended up taking the Jazz to seven games as well. So they almost beat the Jazz as well and made a run like the Heat to make it to the conference finals. But super disappointed. Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, Kendall Gill, Nate McMillan, Sam Perkins, Detlef Shrimp. Say it with me, Mikey. <laughs> Detlef Shrimp. That's right. We got to get Mikey a jersey. And Ricky Pierce, who was like sixth man of the year. I was one sad kid that day, man. I was a sad kid. And I got made fun of in school a lot. So it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a good week for me at all. <laughs> Trust me, it's not worse than the whole 03, uh, 3 0 deficit that we yeah, Mike and yeah, I faced in 04. Yeah. yeah. So I don't want to relive uh, that. That didn't happen. See, what's what happened? <laughs> this didn't happen. So, Trey, you want to go or me? I want to add Trey. Okay. Uh, so, okay. different angle here. I, want to I swear, one. I do truly believe this team would have won the NBA Finals. But some crazy stuff happened. When I talk about that crazy stuff, I'm talking about the 0405 Pacers. That team would mm, have yep. won the NBA oh, Finals. Yes. But some idiot threw beer at Ron Artest. And before we know it, we got a big brawl in the crowd. And the Pacers' whole season gets derailed. But people have to remember, in that game, they were playing the Pistons. They had just took the Pistons went to the finals the year before to six games, and it was a hard-fought six games. That's that uh, That's that series of Tayshaun Prince gets the crazy block on Reggie Miller and all that. Pacers come back hungry that year. Now, remember, that night they're playing the Pistons. It's November. It's early. They walk into Detroit, and they beat them by 15. Ben Wallace is losing his mind. Everybody's losing their mind because now the Pacers are hot. We're talking about Stack Jack on the wing. We're talking about uh, Reggie Miller on his last leg. We're talking about Ron Artest, uh, uh, perennial all-defensive players. So they're locking up on the wings. Mark We're talking Jackson. about prime Jermaine O'Neal in the middle. We Jermaine still got Dale Davis. We still got toughness. Austin Crozier is one of the Andy. earlier stretch forwards. <laughs> that team was stacked. I thought that team would have won the finals. I truly do believe that because they had the Pistons number at that point, almost being the year before. What people forget is Artest couldn't play the rest of the year. The Pacers still went to the second round and still took the Pistons six games and almost uh-huh. put the Pistons out again before the Pistons ended up going out to play the Spurs in the championship. <sighs> so as far as I'm concerned, if you don't derail that, 
you still get Ron Artest and you still have those guys. They win the NBA Finals because, in my opinion, that is the best team in NBA Pacers history. I know they went to the NBA Finals once and lost to the Lakers, but that is the best team the NBA Pacers have ever had in the history of that franchise. Did Jermaine O'Neal always get a 30? You got a 32 game bond, too, didn't he? He yeah, was, he had 30 plus. Stack Jack yeah. got a long suspension. Even yeah. Reggie Miller, who wasn't even dressed that night, got suspended because he got off the bench to try yep. to help break it up. So that derailed <laughs> everything. So what I was more him. sad is that was his final year, and everybody felt like he's finally going to get his ring. That was yeah, the and, real bittersweet part. Where it's like, come on, how could how could yeah. that cheat Reggie? Yeah. And it all started because Ben Wallace. What year was that? Shit. That was the 04, 05 uh, year. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. 04. Yeah. So that's when, for me, I just think that derailed it. But I, I want to hear what John, John has to say. I'm fascinated by his team. Yeah. So I think we all remember this team. It was the 2014 and 2015 Los Angeles Clippers who went up 3-1 mm-hmm. against the Houston Rockets, where Chris Paul ended up going here, I think, a few the year after, the year, yeah. a few years later. Ended up losing three in a row by 124 to 103. They were ass kickings. They were, I mean, the mm. game, the score doesn't show, but they were ass kickings. <laughs> and that team was fifty six and twenty six, finished second in the, in the uh, Pacific Division, mm-hmm. um, and second in the West. Um, just a great overall team, and their scoring was number one in the league or number two in the league. Scoring rating was were very high that year, and like we all thought, okay, this is the year Chris Paul is definitely in. The, like the team was rolling, right? Like so statistically. Mm-hmm. Aside, the team was rolling that year, and we all thought, like, okay, they're 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 catching fire in the playoffs. That I think they mowed through. Oh no, wait, they went they went seven with San Antonio, knocked off San Antonio, who I think just came off a championship against the Heat, and that was that. Uh, I think it was Kawhi, you know, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu team. You know, they knocked them off in seven. We thought, oh, okay, they're gonna they're gonna take it to the chip, end up losing three in a row, and that's where like. The curse of Chris Paul continues. Well, that was Lob <laughs> City, bro. That was Lob yeah, City. Prime, were, prime Lob City. The, yeah. They were the most entertaining team by far. Everybody wanted to see Lob City play. They were yeah. so fun to watch. Blake they Griffin were, could they, dunk then. Oh, but Blake that's Griffin. what I'm saying. They caught fire. If you remember the last month of the season, they caught fire. And they were mm-hmm. like the be- they looked like the best team in the league. Mm-hmm. And when they when they went up 3-1 on Houston, I was like, oh, they're going to the NBA Finals. And then I was like, oh, shit, they gave up with Three, three, one lead, three in a row, done. So, and that's the year uh, OKC ended up going, right? Was it OKC, Miami? Uh, or, or that was the uh, first Golden State. No, OKC <laughs> was 12, 12, 13. So, that was the first Golden State chip where they beat Cleveland. Uh, no, that's no? uh, that's the end of the, that's the end of LeBron and Miami. So, it yeah. was Miami Spurs because he played yeah. the Spurs last. They the Miami Spurs was the last two years, but that's the Spurs. It was, yeah, it was the year before saying, 13, 13, 14 was. Was the Spurs versus the Heat, and then fourteen, yeah. fifteen? I can't remember who the champion. I think it was the Heat again. Spurs no. put the Heat out that time. No, that was Golden State. No, no. Golden, Golden yeah, State Golden Cleveland. State Cleveland. Fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because yeah. remember, I just said I just said the the Clippers beat the Spurs in the first round. Yeah, yeah. Yep. No, you're right. Yeah, that's yep. yeah. That's that was Cleveland. the first Golden State Cleveland. Yeah, that's when Atlanta made the run, but then got swept out by LeBron and Cleveland. Yeah, you're right. That's, that's yeah, the, because that's both teams hit like over 23s in one game in that series, and then Cleveland came back the following game and hit 24 threes yeah. and set the record. And then like, it was yeah. crazy that year. Threes were raining that year. So my question to you guys is, what is it about? So is regular season overrated? 
And what I mean by that is that we talk about it all the time that there's a lot of parody in all these sports, right? Mm-hmm. Is it just get in? If you have the talent on the team, like the Lakers and the Heat, is it just type of get in type of thing where, like, once you get in, it's zero zero. So, how do you lock in that mentality? And what do you what do you guys think? You know, do you think the regular season is kind of overrated? And should we should should we scale it back a little bit? In the uh, amount of games, I mean, I wouldn't. I would. So for me, I would scale the the season back, especially if you're going to have all this load management stuff, like just less games, just play less games in the regular season. But I still don't wouldn't call it overrated. Simply because for that, yes, it is zero zero when you hit the playoffs if you get in. All right. But the regular season, from a perspective of a team, right? If I'm on a team or coaching or GM or whatever of a team, the regular season allows me to prepare to either hold off the upset or com- or complete the upset by playing that team and right. understanding how to play them. So I think it's I think the regular season doesn't have as much value a lot of the time especially with such a long schedule with like the 82 game schedule of mm-hmm. who really is the best team right. but it is from a team perspective i think it does have its value in making sure you are the best team you can be yeah because the farther you get away from the farther you get away from that cleveland warriors stretch mm-hmm. the more we're seeing teams like start to turn it up in the playoffs and right. i think that's making it more exciting uh, and, I mean, obviously the sweep isn't, you know, what we like to see, but if it's competitive games, competitive games. Jamie, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I have a better proposal because a lot of people think that Golden State played their way to the six seed, meaning that they knew they would get the Kings and that'd be a better matchup than the Suns, right? So it's almost like teams can strategize towards the end of the day. If you have a locked-in seed, they're like, hey, it's okay if we drop a couple of games. We think the path at six instead of four, because that means they would have avoided Denver as well in the second round is a better path for us. I think it would be a lot of fun to do a lottery style. The first four teams are locked, and then five, six, seven, eight, it's at random. So you pick, at, like the ping pong balls decide mm. who five is, who six is, who seven, and who eight is, because uh, you can't get your seat. Clip, I, I have a different proposal. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have a different proposal. Similar to what Jamie said, but what I would actually have done if we want to make value to regular season is the top four seeds, they get their seat. The yep. number one team then gets to pick which one of the teams from the bottom four they get to play. And nice. I get to call my shot. Number and then two, the two and then the three. Like yeah, you, so now right, I yeah. truly get to call my shot based on who I just saw that yeah. I thought I could beat, which gives yeah. you more incentive to get up and play and get to the team you want. Yeah. But does the regular season, I guess, have more value? I think to answer that question, I think it does for teams who have not been together, have less continuity. So, for example, Denver, actually the best thing that Denver has going for them is they were the same team last year, added a few key pieces, but they were the same guy. One of the biggest things the Suns had against them is they didn't play together last year or even barely this year. Right. If you notice, even when the Bucks finally got over the hump, that team with Middleton, Giannis, and they had been together for a couple of years. So, if you notice, mm-hmm. the teams yeah. that are going, uh, when the Warriors won, it was, they were you know constantly together. It's the teams that have been together for a couple of years mm-hmm. and went through the playoff test of battles. But I think the regular season is good for a team who maybe has never been together and learning through that. But once you kind of – I feel like once you figure it out and you get kind of your main pieces and you've been together for a minute, I don't know if the regular season means as much to those teams. Yeah, Toronto's it's kind of like, let me get there. Toronto is the only anomaly with yeah. – randomly yeah. throw a team together and Kawhi had a magic playoff. Well, you look at the Heat. 
Look at the Heat. Like when they first put their big three together, they lost the first finals they played in. Yes. And so then won. Dallas, and then yeah. they knew how to run. Right. After that, they ran. And, and then they beat OKC. Right. But that, but that makes sense a lot of times. Like, and and when we went to the finals against Dallas, I knew if you remember, we beat Dallas. In, we beat Dallas in the 06 finals. Mm-hmm. So Dirk right. was, you know, Payback. looking for revenge. He, he won, you know, it was one of his yeah. final, you know, final years in the in the league. So he was looking for revenge. So yeah, I mean, you know, when you have a team that's been together and that Mavericks team was just I mean they had a great team. <laughs> and then Dirk was averaging together. almost a double yeah. double double. When you talk yeah. about a player being the best player in a given year, Dirk was the best basketball yeah. player in the world. hundred percent. He was hitting everything. It felt yeah. like the back basket was the size of the ocean. He was just yeah. shooting I was just like one the, some of the shots he was making. Yeah. yeah. And like I remember Chris Box was like, I can't I, there's nothing I can do. I'm in his face. My yeah. hand is like here and I yeah. can't He's just knocking it down. So, right. you know, it, it's a hats off type moment. It's kind of right. like when Yochik made that shot again over AD, and AD was just laughing, like, what do you want yep. me to do? We know what the but, real problem was. They needed Mario Thomas to defend him, but they didn't give him the trust. They didn't give him the, didn't give him the assignment, not Mario Thomas. That, that, that's why the Heat lost game four. Mario Chalmers. That's right. Mario Chalmers shouldn't have arms to shoot a basketball in the fourth quarter. <laughs> For real, <laughs> I agree no, with no, that. 100%. No, no. In, in all seriousness, yes. <laughs> well, you know. as we as as we talk about players and expansion and everything like that, moving on to the NFL came out with some news this week. As this week, as in May twenty fourth, the end of May Memorial Day weekend, twenty twenty three, that they're going to allow cor- uh, teams to carry an extra quarterback in the playoffs i believe it is or is it just regular season and playoffs but it doesn't hurt a roster spot so it sparked an interest that i thought was you know key every other team and every other you know league expands their roster just a little bit for the playoffs and in regular season should the nfl expand the roster yeah nfl should expand the roster i don't see why not okay we're expanding the season we got to play more games but yet we still have the same amount of players out there it's more injurious. Why would we not expand the roster? To me, to leave it at 53 men, that's crazy. On top of that, you got to look at it like this. We're burning two spots already, really four. We got a quarterback. He can't go out here and play running back. We got another quarterback. He ain't coming out here to play receiver. We got a kicker. All he's going to do is sit on the bench. We got this punter who ain't going to play. So we already burned down. And Oh, not to mention we got a long snapper. The long snapper long probably snapper, doesn't play <laughs> any other position. So we've already burnt like five spots of guys we can't play. At a certain point, what am I going to do? Like force my quarterback to learn to play running back or something? Right. If we want the best quality product, you're going to keep expanding the game. On top of that, now we're going to do more flexing with Thursday night. We're adding Friday night games. We're playing Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever day of the week. We're playing football. If y'all got these guys playing back-to-back, put more guys on the roster. How does it hurt? To have more talent and more guys in practice to make a better product. Give us the best product possible. Stop being cheap asses and let them expand a couple extra spots. It ain't going to cost you that much. As much money as Amazon's paying you, as much money as Fox is paying you, for God's sake, we're paying Troy Aikman $2 billion to go out here and cost 17 games. The least we can do is put an extra five or six roster spots out there. But, I mean, you know, that's just my thought. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, so I completely agree, especially – I agree with all the points you made. Plus, listen, if if the first roster new roster spot we're gonna roster spot we're gonna give is quarterback, the least 
almost the least behind kickers physical position on the entire field. The one that is designed to get hit the least aside from kickers, then why aren't we putting giving extra roster spots for the physical, physical, like in the trenches and like, you know, these guys that are actually getting hit every play or getting bumped every play. So yeah, absolutely. If you're going to add more games, if this is really about player safety, let's make it about all player safety and give extra spots to positions that need it. Especially because you keep expanding the expanding the uh, the league, right? Like, right. I feel like at one point or another, when we get maybe ten years down the road, it'll be a twenty game season. I I fully like I it. fully see it. I fully yeah. see it because money talks. I mean, I know Jamie, it's it, you shake your head on it, but it's just money talks. Like they'll they'll want it, and they'll right. someone so will propose them, it. A long time to go from fourteen to sixteen, and took them a long time to go from sixteen to seventeen. I I don't see it going to twenty. They may be adding well, two teams. Don't forget, we expanded the playoffs too. We keep. I know that, but here's my take with with your points, and I love I love what you guys said. I just think it was a knee jerk reaction by the NFL just because of what happened in the Philly San Fran game. So instead of really thinking through it, like you said, Trey, and, and you said, Mike, like, is this more about ensuring the fact because it's really about the integrity of the product, and the product was weakened in one of the biggest nationally televised games that everybody looked forward to, which was. The underdog San Fran quarterback against who many people deemed the best player in football or one of the best players in football and, and the magical run the Eagles had made that year because they would have been a perfect team if, if Hurts didn't get hurt, I think, and or at least had one loss. So you have this match of everybody looks forward to, and then the, the product was just totally tainted because Brock Purdy literally couldn't throw a ball five yards. So game script was predictable. The Eagles ate him alive. I mean, you can't go up against the best rushing team in football and you can't throw the ball all of a sudden. So the NFL was like, knee-jerk reaction. We can't have this happen again. So let's just make sure there's this emergency quarterback. No, take some time to think. It's not just about making sure you have an extra quarterback. Just like you guys said, make sure there's more guys in the trenches that can get him because you're having linemen blow that knee out a lot more than you have quarterbacks getting hurt in these big games. Make sure there's somebody that's a skilled position that could be replaced. So instead of going to that one knee-jerk reaction, they should have said, you know what? We'll think about the four main positions on a team, and let's just take it from 46 to 50 right away. Let's not do this emergency thing that doesn't count as a spot, but it's there as backup. That's stupid. It's just that let's add four spots. It could it'd be a lineman, be a defensive lineman, it'd be a quarterback, and then wild card. The team chooses who they want that position to be. And then now you have just four additional players, and, and now you're almost guaranteeing the integrity of the product because it's not weakened where the team's lost that that whatever position that's integral for their success or integral for the quality of the product to remain as is high level, which everybody wants to see, especially in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, when you look at it, you know, if I had to make a change, right, it'd be the playoffs, right? You expand the roster for the playoffs. You do it in every other sport. Why not in football? Because come, you come to look at it, football is the biggest sport in America. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. that's just the truth of it all. People, people get all upset and up in arms. They have a whole day about the schedule being released, for God's sakes. They have a whole countdown on ESPN about it. Like, come on now. Like, so, like, the playoffs is where exactly what you said, Jay, is where you see, you know, the best product on the field and you expanded it, right? So why not add four or five more spots? Why not take it from 53 to 57 or 60, right? Why not add a few more spots? Because that's when guys are going – a little bit harder, pushing it a little bit further, 
and getting on and getting hurt the most. Right. That's where we see a lot of more injuries. That's where you see guys, you know, I, I read a quote from like Jerome Bettis and I think Trey sent it to me and told me that, you know, when he played a football game, it took him two days to get out of bed. Wow. A lot of these guys feel like when they get done with a football game, that it's worse than getting hit by a car or getting into a car accident. That's all bruising type. I mean, they, the Steelers played these. Even today, even today, style. though, even today with the faster pace, the you know, everything. It's it, they feel like a, like even Devontae Smith said it last year. He goes, "I'm hurting for a couple of days after. I'm not ready until like Tuesday night, Wednesday." So yeah. when you look at it, it's like, okay, yeah. I mean, you know, if we're gonna if these players feel like that right now in 2023 with everything we have, and you know who we're gonna have on here later talking about performance trading and Chris, um, that's that's just the biggest thing, right? So we got to expand the rosters in order to have a good quality product out there. And so teams don't get ultimately crippled all, uh, to the point where like, if they're having a great season, like the Niners were lucky. Right. But if they had an extra couple roster spots, they could have probably added a few more pieces. Right. You know, added probably another, you know, a few pieces to help out Brock Purdy. You know, their offensive line was weak last year and that's what kind of ended up having a, uh, and even check out the details of the, right. The details of this is that your first and second string have to be injured. And Correct. as long as one of them gets declared that they can play again, it disqualifies that disqualifies, player immediately. Right. Which it's is, which stupid. is dumb. Like it's such a dumb knee jerk reaction. It just doesn't make sense that this, it was knee jerk. It was not well thought out. But the NFL, they, you know, they do knee jerk. If you look and they do this every year. Remember the the play was the Marcus Peters hits the hits the receiver and then they don't call the flag. Next thing I know, next year we got uh, but the pass interference can be challenged call. Then they had the overtime rule got switched because of the Bills cheat there. So every year Brady something rule. comes out of the playoffs, the Brady Tuck rule. We had to mm-hmm. go all the way back there. Mm-hmm. Every year there's always something that comes out where the fans go crazy. NFL just some type of knee jerk reaction. That's just that's that's what the NFL. And then know. they figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> and then they figure it out after they see what their knee jerk well, reaction looks. But like. you would think twenty yeah. years later, after the Brady Tucker was like, "Why do we keep reacting this way?" At some point, you got to wise up. And you review, that. and you review. If they want to change uh, something, cut the freaking reviews down. Everything's well, reviewed. Everything. It's so <laughs> goddamn annoying, man. It it's is, like it it's like oh, he catches it out of bounds. Review. How about you just get it right? How about you just get it right on the just pay attention and then and then that's it. Like, what are you looking at? Like, yeah, I don't even like the refs are not doing themselves uh, justice. I want to know the percentage, and I know Mikey will come next week and, and tell me the percentage of our statistician guy down there. Um, well, tell us the percentage. How many times they overturned a call this year or over the past like ten years with implementing that rule, like, like the review. <laughs> That's your homework, Mike. I got no, no, I got you. Don't worry. Quit your job. (laughs) No work this week. Just that. (laughs) But I would love to see that because the refs are like it goes back to baseball. Like baseball, these these officiate officials are doing themselves uh, non justice on this because we're eventually we're gonna go what to just robots. Everything's gonna be in a oh yeah robots at this point. You know, so it's like they're not doing themselves any favors by this, and you know. And the other play is that Trey and I talk about all the time is 
this is going at full speed, right? Like, so imagine going at full. Imagine watching the game yourself and you're not picking up on things. Imagine being down there in the field, like watching these like big six foot five, six foot six guys running all around at you know four four speeds. How are you supposed to pick that up? You know, so I think that's a you know an interesting way to kind of go about it. But yeah, I think a, a knee jerk reaction is a great way to put it, Jay. I got, sure. I got to talk to you, John. And this is from this is from two years ago. And they, they, they average it out early on because, remember, Instant Replay has been around for over 10 years now, right? So mm-hmm. from 2011 to 2016, NFL games had an average of 1.6 replay reviews per game with 41% of them resulting in an on-field call being overturned. And then when I scroll up on a table, the percentage seems like it went up because in 2021, out of 272 games played, 158 plays were reversed in those games. Wow. Right? So, so that takes it up significantly way past mm-hmm. the 40s. And, and right. that's closer to – that's much, much more than 40%. So yeah, I, I like give the rep. Yeah. Yeah, I the give Super the, Bowl, I give the, the Super rest. Bowl is a delayed game anyway, right? We, we oh, know nice. there's a bunch of delays in the game. So just keep it for the Super Bowl because you don't want the Super Bowl to be won because of a really bad call. Like, just reserve it for the Super Bowl because they're like, you know what? These are the two best teams that work that ass off to be here. Maybe we just say for this game in particular, we're going to need a, a, a review. It's prolonged no matter what. We had freaking a whole damn concert at halftime. So everybody's tuned in anyway. I think people would be okay with it if it was just held for the Super Bowl itself. Yeah, and it was a good game too, right? That plays a huge mm-hmm. factor, right? If it's a blowout, then it doesn't really matter. But if it's a good game where, you know, a pass interference is called on someone that shouldn't have been. You know, so does that mean maybe you have to be within seven points to use it? Like, should there be rule that rule on it? When I mean, they already get two happen? challenges a game, and then they get, yeah. and then if they win it, they get another challenge. Like, if they go on their last challenge, they get to keep their. I think that's the rule, right? In the it second is. half, mm-hmm. like yeah. if you win your last challenge, you get to you get another challenge. You keep you can keep challenging heard. until until you get it wrong. Yeah, so I think I feel it's like it's a little ridiculous, and I feel like the NFL does this all the time. Just like how the Eagles, you know, now can't do what their running game. I still think they're gonna, you know, do it in some sort of way. But it's like they were like, "Oh, you're doing." I I remember the interview with Nick Sirianni. He was like, "Oh, you guys are doing something." He's like, "It's not illegal." (laughs) Until they make it illegal, and now it's illegal. Mikey, (laughs) I challenge you to a drink duel next week. Do you take the? Hint. <laughs> the hint. <laughs> All right, guys. Now that we're talking about changes, we're going to talk about someone who makes a change in, in uh, basketball players' lives every single day. I'm talking about Chris Palmer of Pure Performance Basketball. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm doing good, guys. How are y'all? What's up, Chris? We doing, Chris? You on the big screen? How's it going tonight, man? There we go. Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Awesome. How about y'all? Not too bad, not too bad. Just you know, living the dream, hoping my heat take the game five and let let my nerves down a little bit. <laughs> I, think, hey, I think they will. If not, they'll get them in six. They'll get them back in Miami. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. I was trying to go John's to the game, scared, but it was like John is scared right now. All he could this morning, he just got that nervous text. All of a sudden, Miami's dominating the series. He's like, "Here comes Jason Tatum." Jason Tatum plays like Jordan two point oh in elimination game, so I know he's worried. He does. He does. Yeah. <laughs> so, Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? And, and, and I know that Chris, for all of our viewers, Chris um, is a NBA, WNBA, and youth player development 
and consulting service, and he educates players, coaches, and trainers all around the world. Um, so tell us a little bit about like yourself. How you got into the you know training and consulting business and, and whatnot? Yeah. So um, in short, like I played basketball my whole life, um, all through high school, and then I ended up playing at the Division two level um, at Emmanuel College. Um, but really, I kind of knew since I was about 10 years old, specifically, I always wanted to be a college basketball coach. That was the main thing. Um, even even back then, which was only 10, 15 years ago, I mean, training at the individual level wasn't as big as it is now. Um, so I didn't even think about doing that. Um, but then really, when I was about a senior in high school, um, I started working with some kids um, at local gyms, charging like $10 an hour and really started from the beginning. Um, and then right after I got done playing, I kept that up um, through each summer. I kept gaining more and more clients and then was able to build a couple guys, build a couple guys up uh, to the college level and beyond that. And then once I was done with college, uh, with my undergrad was 2020. So the COVID year, um, I immediately went into, I already had pure performance, but I was ready to go into that full time in 2020. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I know I, you know, I came across your page and and you started following us and we really appreciate the, all the support you've given us. And, you know, I see all like, how did it come about to be, that you're training WNBA and NBA players in every in, in that aspect. Is it just connections? Is it just, um, you know, what was that? Really, a lot of it was um, word of mouth. Um, I mean, honestly, I mean, um, starting training here, I was in um, Gwinnett County, Georgia. So, obviously, around Atlanta, we do have a lot of talent. Um, yeah. So the first guy who kind of gave me a chance was uh, C.J. Foster. He played at um, Arkansas State, and then he played overseas in Spain. So I started working with him, um, I believe that was in 2017. And then uh, from there on, it just kind of uh, was a little bit of a trickle of effect. And I was kind of, kind of lucky and um, got a shot to do a couple – couple sessions with some guys for free and then um, mm-hmm. uh, some good guys were able to were I was lucky enough for them to keep me on and then uh, from there we just uh, continued to build for about the past five years or so so um, a lot of the guys I work with I mean those are if they're posted on the page I mean those are guys that are like full-time every week like during wow. the season we're going through film all of that stuff so uh we really That's try awesome. to not we really try to not post someone because anyone anyone can rebound for someone one time and then say they really worked with them and tried to all develop right. them but uh right. really player development is a long-term thing so um we really try to do our best to stay as connected with all of our guys and uh, girls as much as we can throughout the year. Hey, Chris, enough respect to you. I'm a, I'm a coach as well. I'm a swim coach. And, and, you know, I, I grew up as a deck rat. My dad was a coach. So I kind of had that same, you know, sort of long-term vision you had. I knew I was going to be on deck one day or coaching any sport. Cause I've been a junkie for a long time with sports. 
did you have an influence like that from a young age where there was somebody who you know you said a college basketball coach is your, your dream was there a college basketball coach you're like hey i'd love to have that job or who was your big influence that kind of early on made you know this is what i want to do yeah um honestly it was a coach that i had i mean called him coach frank i mean he started when i was 10 years old and he kind of coached me all the way until i was uh i was 17 and getting done with high school and um either just skill work or with the team so i mean he was kind of a he was kind of a good example um good example for me and then uh my aau coach coach jay was kind of the same way uh they were really good examples uh, but then looking outside of guys that i knew from guys that i didn't know um i would say my favorite coach growing up was uh coach k at duke um and then like going to his <laughs> basketball camp one time uh did that trigger someone in here uh, on the top right yeah. here Oh, okay. Don't laugh. Sorry, laughed. It's a Dean Smith. <laughs> okay. No, that's Roy Williams. <laughs> no, no that's, that's basketball royalty, man. That's basketball yeah, royalty. Yeah. Yeah. So, you gotta have all the respect for Kay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I was like, I was like hooked on uh, reading all of his books and um, all of these different coaches. So, um, but I would say, I would say primarily my high school coach and my AAU coach. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So, so now that you've kind of been in it, you said you really got going in 2020 full time with it. And, and now that you've been with, you know, worked with a bunch of different players, different kinds of players. What would you say is like one misconception you find that players have on what it takes to get better? Misconception. Yeah, I would say um, how it's not as complex as people try to make it out to be. Um, Obviously, the age of the athlete really matters. Like, I mean, if you're working with middle schoolers, you got to go to a basic fundamental route and try to make sure um, that they have each area of their game um, straight. But then when it comes to guys that are, you know, they have size, they're athletic, they got all the tools you need. um, I think it's, I think at the end of the day, simplicity wins. So um, you got to find, you got to find two to three, sometimes even one area of their game that they need to be great at. And um, I think the biggest separator between a lot of the college athletes and a lot of the NBA players is um, a lot of guys are good at a lot of things at the college level, but they're not great at one thing. And um, I think that's a big separator from um, being good and being great. Is that your goal? When you get players at that level, you want to try and help them identify what's your great? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I mean, that's the first thing. That's the first thing you got to know, like, um, I mean, if you're coming out of college, obviously you're going to get different feedback, but you got to figure out uh, what the area in your game is that you can hang your hat on at the next level because it's so specific at the professional level. Um, If you can shoot the ball and you can defend, that's going to be enough. Um, If you're a rebounder, you better be a great rebounder. Uh, There's just not a lot of guys who are great 
at three or four different things. I mean, there's literally a handful of guys in the world that you can say are a great passer, great shooter, great rebounder, great defender. So um, it's just such a small, such a small margin there. Hmm. Yeah. So Chris, with um, you dealing with a little bit of pros, a little bit of college, I have a curious question. Uh, with load management, that's a big thing in the NBA. How do you, as a person who's helping train, feel about load management? Do you think it's something that actually helps, or do you think it's something where people are using as an excuse to not necessarily play the full season? Or how do you feel, as I said, about load management? Yeah, that's a that's a great topic. Um, as far as training goes uh, with clients, I am a big believer that I'm a big believer in hard, efficient work. Um, so when it comes to our workouts, I mean, at most, I mean, workouts typically won't go over an hour um, because like anytime we're not working on more than two things. So if we're working on two things, I would love to see five reps really hard, great at what they're going to do rather than 15. So when it comes to workouts, I think uh, I think there is a way to um, implement load management with getting good effect, efficient work in. Uh, when it comes to games, I I think. Uh, I think it. I think it differs with different players. Um, I do believe there are some guys in the NBA that really uh, are just taking days off. But then I also look at it, and it's an 82 game season, and we're not accounting for all of the travel they got to do, um, the pregame shoot around in the morning, the pregame workout they have um, about an hour or two before the game. There's just a whole lot to it. Um, so I would, I know it's kind of a vague answer, but I would leave that to uh, individual players. I think it's a differing subject. But I will say I do love that they added the, I think it's a 66 games you have to play mm-hmm. yeah, to be eligible for the MVP or All-NBA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. That's right. Yeah. I do love that rule. So I will say that. We've seen that, right? Where like an MVP is like, oh, you have to play a minimum of 80% of the season. It's like, come on, the MVP plays 80 games most of the time, right? Exactly, right. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of bounce off that one. Yeah, it all depends on probably different players, especially with aging players like, you know, we're just going to say like KD, Kyrie, LeBron, they're load management because they've been playing for straight for 20 plus or 15 plus years, right? So it probably differs versus a guy that's just trying to get in the league and, you know, you need to be like a workhorse. <laughs> exactly. And guys like KD, LeBron, I mean, it's not 82 games. I mean, they're playing 95, 100 games. <laughs> yeah, you, got, right. you got all – I mean, they're not getting knocked out of the first round very often. So Right. So, has a tough question as a coach, right? You know, being someone who assessed and you know the game so well, you have someone comes in who's just a – grinder and they're a hard worker but they have a difficult time with having that feel for the game right they just they're the worker then you have the other opposite of it where they have a great feel but they don't have the work ethic which one frustrates you the most in terms of you having to deal with that athlete is it more frustrating that this kid who's willing to do everything or this girl is willing to do everything you know like hey you, your ceiling's low or is it more frustrating when the person is like man you're stratospheric but i don't know why you don't want this which one's more frustrating for you 
Oh, um, the person who doesn't want it enough. Yeah. The, no doubt the person who doesn't want it enough because um, I try to see every workout every day as a progression. And if someone comes in the gym and they are ready to work, I mean, I can live with mistakes. I can live with mistakes on uh, making reads and drills, making reads and different con concepts we're doing. Uh, but if someone's just coming in and kind of, um, you know, not going hard enough, that that's that's the worst. I mean, you can't you can't deal with that. Um, so you can always work with someone who's going to put their best effort forward. What's your stats? I saw you standing up next to some of the guards in your pictures. What about six six? Where are you at? About six six. Yep. Looks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so question question for you what is more satisfying seeing someone get to the nba or seeing that youth player that's just been working its butt off and you know been trying and finally succeed at like maybe doing a left-handed layup because i know that was my i can't even do one right now but <laughs> i can't i can't i can't do anything you know i used to <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question, and I would honestly say um, just like from my earlier years specifically working with younger players, like you will see it's incredible. Like someone that's going to listen at a young age, what you can do in an hour to improve their game yeah. is more than an older player can do in like a month as far as progress goes. I mean, they can literally come in the gym, not be able to make a layup, and then by the end of an hour, they're making a layup. So I would say uh, probably the youth player, honestly, because just like the amount of growth you see in a short amount of time, even I know it's it's not about a short amount of time, but it's just uh, it's kind of amazing to see. Do you attribute that like, to like naive love of the game? You know, I'm sorry, you, say that again? You, you attribute that to that. You know that naive love of the game because you haven't really gone through the motions enough, right? And right. You know, like I, I get super excited with a kid that's so green. I'm like, one month, just one month. Like, mom, just give me one month, okay? Don't judge the practices. Give me one month. And you're going to see a whole different summer. And and that really excites me a lot more because the other one that's so fine-tuned, it's like you're beating your head up with them so much. You're like, you know, sometimes it's so frustrating because it's either they're not willing or they feel like they know too much already. And the other kids are just like wide eyed, you know, just like, please give me more. Like, you know, they're so hungry for more. So I feel you on that, man. It's it's a uh, it's super rewarding when you get that green kid to come in and all of a sudden you see that big transformation in a short time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, swimming, that's another example. I mean, that's a uh, progression. I remember, my, I remember <laughs> my granddad trying to teach me how to swim and like, I mean, that's a that's a process in itself. So uh, that's a really good example as well. So for sure. <laughs> I know Jamie taught me and I was like a tuna in the water. <laughs> <laughs> once you, once you get over like, like, I was beating the water up, like the water did something dirty. I'm like, Hey, like man, a 290 bro, pound floaty. Um, so you, no, 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 you're fine. Hey, any swimming talk I'm down for. Um, so you had mentioned how small the margin of like those four to five tool guys are in the world. 
was actually a, a question I had for you was, in your personal opinion, with all your experience of playing and training and working with different levels, who is the most skilled player in the world right now? Oh, that's a great question. Ooh, great question. Wow. Um, I would say hmm, I'm still going to say Kevin Durant. I just, his efficiency on the offensive end, I mean, shooting 40% from three, 50 from the field, 90 from the line, like his, his bad games, he's scoring 30 points and he's shooting 60%. Like I just, I think efficiency plays such a big role into that Um, and just, I mean, he can he can score at all three levels. Um, man, I I would I know I know Jokic is probably he's the sexy pick, right? Yeah, I <laughs> that's a tough one to say. I know Jokic is the popular one, and he might be, but I just I think it's the efficiency on the offensive end that kind of uh, makes me lean towards Durant like long term. Um, and then obviously LeBron is up there. So like um, the guys that have all those tools that are the handful, mm-hmm. you know, Jokic, LeBron, KD, um, those are the t- kind of guys I'm talking about. Those guys are the now, right? Like those are the MVPs now. Out of the young guys, do you think Luca is the definite leader of those young guys? Like he's the next MVP out of once this crop kind of moves on? I do. I yeah. I do think he's going to get a MVP soon. Um, the only thing, the only thing with him is going to be the defensive end, and if he's going to buy into that, I think that's going to uh, play more of a factor into his team winning the championship than it is him getting an MVP. Um, but as far as like being able to play 40 plus minutes a game and doing it on both ends, like the greats do um, is going to be the only question mark with him. But on the offensive end, I mean, that's, that's another guy who can, who can do everything. Stupid. He's stupid. (laughs) Yeah. So Chris, uh, I was kind of wondering with, when we were all growing up, a lot of us played multiple sports. So some of us may have played football or maybe played basketball and track and did multiple sports. Uh, from the training aspect, do you think it's more beneficial for kids growing up to have played multiple sports or to do what a lot of kids now are doing and focusing on one sport in particular, like let's say basketball and just playing basketball year-round, AAU, uh, just not even going to baseball to track or going to other sports to train? That's a great question. I think, honestly, um, I'm all for people playing different sports at a younger age. Um mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I played two years of baseball, four years of football, two years of tennis. And I did that until I was like a sophomore in high school. Um, So I think I think that's really good at a young age because they're kind of able to figure out what they truly love. And then they'll have time to uh, commit to one. Maybe, maybe if you're getting up to like your senior year and you're like kind of like iffy about all two of them or three of them, maybe it was kind of a 
little late to pick one. Um, but up until like freshman, sophomore year of high school, yeah, I think it's great. I think you can get a lot of uh, a lot of things from all of them. Um, so I would lean towards saying explore and see which one you like the most and um, just go from there. Bro, you must have had a monster serve at 6'6 six, six is coming down on the ball. You must have been like, I don't want to play this kid, man. <laughs> I know. I was uh, I was a big John Isner fan from the University go. of Georgia, but uh, yeah. I never quite got that. I wouldn't yeah. be doing what I was doing if I had it. I played a lot in my time when I was an Agassiz guy in San Francisco. I was, you know, that, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm Grandpa Jay, so my, 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 my mentors are 20 <laughs> 20 years ago, these guys were the, were the guys on the tour. So. so do the kids come into the to the gym today saying, hey, Coach Chris, teach me how to do that Jokic shot from the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I, oh, man, I'm a big – Don't watch uh, that. Yeah, yeah I'm, uh, I'm very big on shot selection, so um, that's uh, – <laughs> Not many people have that, so <laughs> and he does it consistently. That, you're not working on it, and he does that consistently. That's the scary part. It's, it's unreal. It's, I mean, it's next level. Is that something you have to deal with a lot with younger players? Is having to keep them from trying to mimic, like the guys they see, guys and girls they see on TV. Yes. Um, it's funny you bring that up. I was um, I was in New Jersey doing a clinic um, Saturday and Sunday, and um, on the other two courts there were, I want to say it was a fourth grade AAU game. I mean these kids were small, and I just peek over there, and the first thing I see is a kid coming down on a two on one fast break. And he pulls up from three uh, in air balls. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, I'm 26 years old. And even when I was, even when I was playing AAU, like this was not as prevalent. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. everyone, everyone wants to shoot the deep three. Everyone wants to do the next thing. Everyone wants to make the flashy plays. Um, and they're gonna figure out one way or another. It's not the it's not the right play to make. Um, or they so, won't. And they won't play past fourth grade AAU. <laughs> I mean, exactly. exactly. Yeah, or they'll be playing. Or they'll be playing eighteen uh, U AAU or something. Like yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, because prime example last night, Kyle Lowry takes it into the paint and he's going up for a layup and he turns around and throws it away and he throws it down the court and then. Boston goes on a fast break. That's just a mentality that you know, young. I, I can imagine that you probably deal. It's like get that out of your brain. He he's making twenty five million dollars. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's not supposed to make that play, but he yeah. he he can. He has a little buffer in that aspect. Right, um, and also at the NBA level, I mean, analytically, like the corner three is like the best shot you can take. Yeah. I mean, depending on the average NBA player, I mean, that's a high percentage shot. So when you see these guys in the NBA passing up, passing up a 10 foot pull up for a, a corner three, that's a hot, that's a better percentage shot because they'll get more points per possession. But um, 
yeah, if you don't, I'm a big, I mean, if you don't have it, you don't have it. You need to stick to your scripts. So <laughs> last night, right? The, the teams combined for almost 80 threes, 77 threes between both teams, right? I think wow. back in, I mean, I'm a 90s basketball guy. That's when I was like really in love with the game. It would have taken six games in the series for the teams to get three <laughs> total between the two teams because you have like an Indiana Knicks series. Reggie's the only person taking more than four threes in one given game, yeah. right? So I get you where it, it has to be frustrating that even if you teach them about it, they're going home and they're looking at the people that they really admire and they're like, but they're doing it, so I want to do it too. And I, get, I could see for you, it almost seems like, two steps back, one step forward from them watching the game and then coming back to you and having to have that sort of like, you know, rope sort of tuck, you know, rope and tuck. tuck exactly. Like, ah, you know, like and, you could try it, but don't make it your game, you know, so. Yeah. And I think it's a fine line too. I mean, yeah, we're like, it's frustrating that they're picking up a couple habits by like professional players and stuff like that, but. Also, I don't think enough players, younger players are watching basketball. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I will say it is good that they are actually watching the game and um, kind of getting that into their brain what really good basketball looks like. Uh, because for the most part, yeah, there's going, everyone's going to make mistakes at every level. But for the most part, I mean, these are the best players in the world executing at a high level. So, um Continue. I, I'd say for kids to continue to watch it, but there's uh, there's aspects that um, you don't need to take from it. I think the biggest thing is making sure, like I remember, I forget who said this. It was some kid in the gym, like maybe four or five years ago, and he was just chucking up threes. He's like, oh, I want to be Steph Curry. And I'm like, mm -hmm. well, you don't see the stuff behind the scenes, right? You don't see yeah. the thousand shots he puts up every single day. You don't see right. his pregame warm-up. You know, those type of things. Is that like what you kind of drill into their head? Is like he has a repetition that he does every single day. Are you willing to do that? Then you can take those threes. But <laughs> is that something that you kind of drill into the kids and, you know, younger players and like maybe like going into college players? No, yeah, definitely. I mean, you gotta um you gotta earn the right to take to take shots in general, especially at the college level. I mean, they're monitoring every shot you take from every part of the court and what's a good shot, what's a bad shot. And um, when you get up to the college level, I mean, if you're not proven you can make that shot in practice, like you're not even going to have a chance to be on the court to shoot it. So um, I think the preparation point to that is, is spot on. Um, it takes hours of work and it's really, it's hard work. It's smart work and it's consistent. It's a everyday thing that you gotta that you gotta build into um, to become a great shooter or great at any aspect of the game. One question I have for you is: What is the kind of if you could take us through kind of the repertoire of you know when high, going, going from high school to college you play more games, right? It's a longer season, more drilling season, travel a lot more in a short amount of time. And then from the M college to NBA, it's even longer of a season. So how do you prepare each, you know, I guess, freshman in each each league, I should say? Yeah, um, 
I mean, I'll tell a lot of guys, and both are huge jumps, high school to college and college to the NBA, like, you are not – you can get ready as much as you can, but it's still going to take adjusting. I mean, it's still – you're still going to have to get kicked in the mouth and um, fight through some adversity. I mean, the speed of the game, the um, attention to detail that they have, um, defensively, um, as far as specifically taking plays off, um, because at the high school level, I mean, these four or five star recruits, even those guys, like, I know that's a minority of high school, the college players, but they're taking 20% of the defensive possessions off. And um, they'll figure out real quick that what they thought when they thought they were actually conditioned, I mean, they, they're not, it's a shock to them. So um, I say all the time, like, if you think you're working hard now, you gotta, you gotta like almost over exaggerate the physical condition you gotta be in to play at the next level. Um, And that's the, that's the first point I would hit on is uh, the physical condition you're in. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely, because I because you're going from like the one percent of one percent, and then even more when you go to the even even European league, even European basketball oh, yeah. is still really competitive right now, and like half I think Trey was Trey mentioned this uh, a few weeks ago is that it would be cool for the NBA to play like an NBA first world uh, game in the all-star game instead of just doing East and West or something like they're doing, because now you have a lot more European guys in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you get, how do you get someone prepared? Even though they're like, their dream is to go to the NBA, but they're going to Europe instead. How do you get them mentally prepared for that and stuff like that? Yeah, we, we have a lot of, uh, worked with a lot of guys that are over in, in Greece and Israel and, um, uh, Nate Mason, he's in he's in China, he's in Puerto Rico right now, but he's played the last two years in China, and um, that is a talk about detailed. I mean, those coaches talk about detailed and your physical condition. Once you go over there, like you have to be ready to go right away. Um, a lot of times, um, Americans will get a contract. And they'll get that contract and they'll come mid-season or they'll come right after training camp already ended. So they got to be ready to play right away. And um, a lot of people have a really hard time of picking up the offensive concepts and the team-first mentality um, that they play with in Europe. Um, So... Um, obviously, um, a big thing is again, physical condition, you got to be ready to go right away. And then the other thing is just, um, as much as you can, like, hopefully big, the hardest thing with like working with those guys is you don't have time to prepare. So, I mean, I can't look up, I don't have a two month notice of someone getting signed overseas and I'm not able to look up their offensive concepts and what kind of shots they need to take off of actions and uh, what kind of ball screen defense they're going to be doing and all of that stuff. Um, So it's super difficult to really prepare 
um, in that aspect as well. So I guess that second part is a, uh, is, uh, is the kind of way of saying you really can't as far as like the system goes. Yeah. Right, Chris, got one, more, one more question there for you, Chris. Uh, you've been on a lot of basketball courts. You've been in a lot of gyms before in your life. Tell us your big starstruck moment where you're like, man, this is actually happening now. Was it while you were playing? Was it doing a clinic? Like, describe that moment for us if it's happened to you. Starstruck moment of meeting someone? Yeah, any, yeah, meeting someone or being in the gym with someone or someone walking in unexpectedly or hmm. Coach K's camp. That oh, that was uh, I actually didn't get his autograph. I was like ten feet from him at the camp, and I was like nine years old. So honestly, now that probably wouldn't be the moment, but that was for sure. Um, I think of another one. Uh, meeting Kyle Corver before Hawks game was pretty cool. Just being a diehard Hawks fan um, in twenty. I want to say it was 2014. That's when they were like playoff bound. Oh yeah, that's when yeah. we had it rolling. <laughs> <laughs> nice, cool, cool. He's a pure shooter, man. Well, Chris, we're gonna play our signature stump the squad. Are you ready? Chris, we I got so, it. <laughs> yeah, I hope. All right, I'm gonna send it over to Grandpa Jay to. I'm gonna put him on yeah, the big screen. He's gonna discuss how it goes. All right, so. <laughs> Guys, we got Chris on this evening. Couldn't be happy to have him on the show. Chris, thank you for being here. It's time for Stump the Squad. Just to tell you how it works. We actually cheat. You guys don't know we're cheating. We have laptops and phones. We pretend like we don't know everything, but we do. We get it wrong on purpose so you guys feel good about yourself. But here's how it works. We ask each other questions. If you get it right, you get two points. If you get it wrong, you get minus two points. person with the most points on the end of Stump the Squad gets the rant of the week. Chris, our guests always win, so I hope you have a rant prepared. Somehow they always end up beating the squad. So hopefully you got something prepared. And I'm going to start it off with the UNC fan above you right now. See what he has for us today. Mikey, okay. okay. Well, I'll kick it off, of course, in a such a basketball-themed episode. I have a bit of a basketball question. First time ever. I know. <laughs> Who of the following did not appear in both the NBA and MLB. Again, who of the following four people did not make at least one appearance in their careers in the NBA and MLB? Oh, wow. Danny Ainge. Charlie Ward. Dick Grote. Or Cotton Nash. Jesus. Can repeat as always. Can you say the second name again? Charlie Ward. Charlie Ward. Heisman Trophy went out of Florida State. Did like play me to repeat the, the other three? Yeah, re- I'm sorry. Can you repeat? Yeah. You're good. Danny Ainge. Charlie Ward. Dick Grote. Or Cotton Nash. I mean, Cotton I'm Nash. Charlie Ward. I think it's Cotton Nash. I'm going to go Charlie Ward. I'm going Charlie Ward. He said did not, right? Did not not appear in the NBA. Charlie Ward played baseball. He played baseball for us. And he went to the NBA. Yeah. I'm going to go with Danny Ainge. 
Okay, so I've got Trey and John at Charlie Ward, Jamie at Danny Ainge, and I'm sorry, Chris, what did you say? Cotton Nash. Cotton Nash. So we got an Ainge, a Nash, and two Charlie Wards. I have successfully stumped Chris and Jamie. It's Charlie Ward. Big squares. Ainge, I don't believe, made a regular season appearance, but he did make a lot of spring training appearances. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Who's next, Mike? Uh, let's see. I always go with one of the people that get it right, so we'll go with Trey. Okay, so I'm going to switch it. I know I do a lot of basketball, but in honor, we had a legend pass away recently, so I'm going to do a stump the squad in honor of that legend who would be one of the best running backs of all time in Jim Brown. So, of these, and there's going to be four facts. But one of these are not actually facts about something that had to do with Jim Brown. What I need you all to do is tell me which one of these is not a true fact about our legend, Jim Brown. Okay. So, fact one, Jim Brown led the league in rushing attempts five times. Fact two, Jim Brown averaged over 100 yards per game for his career. Fact three, Jim Brown averaged over five yards per carry each season of his career. Fact four, most uh, the most seasons leading the league in the rushing is Jim Brown's record, which he held eight different times. I'll repeat him again. I know it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, fact one, fact one, Jim Brown led the league in the rushing five times. Fact two, Jim Brown averaged over 100 yards per game in each year of his career. Fact three, Jim Brown averaged over five yards per carry each year of his career. Or fact four, Jim Brown led the league in rushing the most times in history with eight times. What's the first one again? The first one is Jim Brown led the league in rushing attempts five times. Which one's not a fact? Which one of those not, not a fact? Huh. It's, it's, it's one of those B. Are false. I B. think it's two. Yeah, B. Is my... We got Chris with B. John with B. That's John absurd. with B. Okay, so led, led the league in rushing attempts five times. Led, averaged over 100 yards per game. Averaged over five yards per carry. Or holds the record for most seasons leading the league in rushing. I think it's A. Okay, we have Chris with B, John with B, Mike with A. And Jamie? And A was, just one more time, remind me, A was? A was led the league in rushing attempts five times. Rushing attempts five times. I think he did that because there wasn't much passing happening. I think he did average 100 yards. I'm going to go with D. And Jamie's going to go with D. So, I have successfully stumped. Everyone except for Mike. Yes. Now, how many times? Technicality. He actually led the lead not five times in rushing attempts, six times he did the lead. I figured it was the number, not necessarily that it was the number, not everything else happened. Yes, Jim Brown averaged over 100 yards per game. Yes, Jim Brown averaged over five yards per carry, 5.2 yards per carry. Uh, And yes, he had the most seasons leading the league in rushing, which happened eight different times in his career. Wow. 
Amazing. I knew the A one. I knew the I'm A1. calling your question out as invalid because it's also a fact. He led five times if he also led six times. That's also a fact. Yeah, but the final number was the not final. five. It doesn't uh, matter. It's a fact that he did it five times too. All right. That's a fact. All right. Well, all right. I mean, you guys can vote if Mike did or didn't get that right. But uh, he got that right. Who's next? Got it five times. That's exactly all of them. <laughs> all of them are facts. Yes. <laughs> who's next? Who's Who's next, Jay? Well, we're gonna go to our uh, our genius up there, uh, Jay. Yes. Thank <laughs> you very much. Bring it my way. Taking it back to the hardwood. I'm gonna make this a lot easier. The Nuggets are trying to become the blank NBA franchise to win an NBA championship in their inaugural appearance in the NBA Finals. So they're trying to become the blank team. Throwing out numbers to mess with mm. Okay. So are they the second team that will do this, the third team that will do this, the fourth team that will do this, or the fifth team? That will win the NBA championship in their inaugural appearance in the finals. Four. Mike goes with four. If I say, if I say it with confidence, it'll be right. <laughs> inaugural time in the finals, right? Yeah, their first That's appearance. First time playing in the NBA. I was NBA about to say because they're not. They've been in the league from, since 1976. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is their first appearance in the finals. Yeah, they get the 76 title if they win this one. <laughs> I guess also. four. I think. I'm. I want to go four as well. Hey, what's our options again? Two. Time to become the second, third, fourth, or fifth team to win the finals in their inaugural appearance in the finals. Five. Fifth team for Trey. Okay, gentlemen. I have successfully stumped Mr. Trey Day. They will become the fourth team if they win. The first was the Spurs in '99. The second was the Miami Heat in 2006 and the third was the toronto raptors who beat the golden state nobody's left to play warriors <laughs> all right so the scores are jamie minus four me two chris minus two uh mike four and trey zero so we got still two left me and who's next Trey? jamie you will go next and we'll have chris close it all right. So, very hard to find questions that I think, like, dang, they're all going to be like, yeah, that's good. So, how many different players led the league in scoring in the 2000s? Now, the 2000s is 2000 to 2010. What sport? Basketball. Okay. Um, sorry, I, sh- I should play NBA. My bad. Um, was it four? Eight, seven, or six. Led the league in scoring. Six. Four, eight, yep. seven, or six. That's the options. Four, six, seven, or eight. Yeah, let me get the score. How many different players led the league in scoring in the 2000s? Let's go through the list. Yes, please. Out loud, Jamie, go through the list. <laughs> sure. Yeah, really. He usually does. He, he, Mike, you shouldn't have said anything. He usually does. Yeah. He's like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> but then we then it comes to the decision of, is Jamie right? Right. <laughs> okay. So, so I got to imagine. I'm going four. Yeah, I think it's four. I'll go six. 
Mike says six. Chris says four. Jamie? Shit. <laughs> that is not an S. Yeah, unfortunately, Jamie, that is not one of the options given. You will be deducted four points. Thank you. I'm already at minus four, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Trey, what are you going with? I went four. You went four. Everybody's gone four so far? I went so six. Went six. You went six. <laughs> right. I'll go with seven. Oh, I take my favorite number. Okay, I was like, is that an option? <laughs> I was too. I was like, well, we know it's wrong because he didn't even think he knows the right answer, so it's not seven. No, I don't. I had to look back real quick. Oh. I was like, what is the right answer? Um, I have successfully stumped Trey, Chris, and Grandpa Jay. It is six. Oh. And you did not win yet. You did not win yet. Yeah, he Mr. has. No, he has not. How not? Because Chris, Chris still has to go, and if he loses, me and him could tie, so... Me, you yeah. and who gets that? Me and, me and, me and John can tie. If two. he gets it right and oh, if okay, he gets okay. it right and I get it wrong, we tie it for. I got you. So calm down there, Piper. Chris, get him wrong. <laughs> All right. Our, we, our job we, every week, just so you know, is to make sure Mike more. never wins. So <laughs> yes, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the villain. I'm the villain <laughs> of this story. Congrats, Mike. Thank you. All right. Has to be one. This team appeared in the NBA Finals in 2002 and 2003. Is it the Los Angeles Lakers, the San Antonio Spurs, the Detroit Pistons, or the New Jersey Nets? D. I'm letting John and Mike go first. Since they have more to play for. Go ahead, Mike. Leader of the pack. <laughs> I didn't say leader. I said villain. There's a difference. <laughs> I'm the leader of the opposition, I guess you could say. You're, you're the leader of the villains. <laughs> you're the twirly mustache. Um, man. You know, I, th I thought I knew the answer, and now I'm double um, second-guessing myself. I don't know, Mike. I've got everything wrong so far today, and I chose the. I know. So I guess I'm going to go with what I initially thought because it was in there. I'll say the Lakers. Yeah, it was the Lakers. Nets. It's not the Lakers. It's the Nets. It's the Nets. <laughs> what? It's the Nets. It's the Nets. <laughs> So we, got, we got two Lakers and two Nets. Yeah. It's the Nets, right? Yeah, I got Jonathan and Mike. They lost yeah, the Lakers. Lakers in 2000, 2001, 2002. The and then the Nets yeah, were 2002, 2003. It's they the lost. most random team because yep. the three others dominated those five years. Yep. So. Who'd, they, who'd they lose to in 03? The Spurs. Spurs. And oh, Spurs, that was that random. The Spurs lost to Detroit the year after. Yeah. And then Detroit, uh, the Lakers the year after. Okay. And then it became the Spurs again. Think, then it was Celtics, Lakers, yeah, Celtics, Lakers. Go first. See, I, I, in my head, I had the I had the Lakers beating the Pistons in 03 for some reason. 
No, well, the, Lakers, like, the Lakers got demolished by the Pistons. The Pistons, Pistons, Pistons four, five. Like demolished. In five, yeah. yeah. Oh, three, oh, four, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was the, yeah, because that was yes. the Kings. That was the Kings Western Conference final cheating. Yep. Okay. That's you know, and I was looking at that earlier too, because one of our to- one of our topics. I was looking at that, mm-hmm. and I and it said 03 Lakers, but I didn't read the 03. I just looked at it. It says 0304. So yeah. that's why I thought. I, Lakers, I hate. So. I honestly, as a side note, hate when they do that. When they call them like the when the when the season started team, as opposed yeah. to like when the actual finals were. But. Well, we got our champion here, Mikey Mike. Go ahead for your rant of the week. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. <laughs> You're going to lose right. next week. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, a t- for the Taylor Swift reference, now I'm even more of a villain. Yeah. Chris, we have a spot open on the show if you want. <laughs> Wait, hold on. All right, go. Come on. Okay. Andrew, so, if you don't whiskey. Right. <laughs> a little whiskey sip. Uh, so for my for my rant of the week this week, I'm actually going to take it to a sport that I have never ranted on and and don't you know usually talk about as heavily as some other people, which is golf, and that's because we're coming off of the PGA Championship in my neck of the woods here in Rochester, New York, played at Oak Hill Country Club, and it's not going to be the fact that Brooks Kepka won for a third time, joined a you know phenomenal list of. Cha- champions over the years it's going to be what i think is the better story which is congratulations to michael block the the uh, pga club pro out of mission viejo at uh, arroyo trabuco uh country club golf club i do know it um because top 15 finish he's automatically in next year's pga championship in valhalla in louisville kentucky i think he's going to crush it there too but he's also being invited to a bunch of different tournaments now, which I think is awesome. He's a phenomenal player. He jumped over 3,000 spots in the world golf rankings just from that one performance, and deservedly so. He played phenomenally. He got to play with Rory McIlroy, which was, I mean, if you guys haven't seen it, go watch the video of him finding out he was paired with Rory. He's, like, giddy. Like, he's, like, a, a you know 10-year-old kid that got to find out he got to play with his hero. So it's <laughs> so cool. Like it was it was really cool, and I'm very happy for him because he seems like a great guy, great golfer, and I wish him nothing but continued success because I'm loving watching his story so far. The story of the hole in one he didn't believe he hit is pretty good. That's what I'm saying. Like that's what yeah, I was yeah. about to say. The <laughs> fact that he played with his idol, Roy's yeah. his idol, yeah. and he he had a hole in one that he had no idea what they were cheering about. He's like, I'm not sure why. Rory was hugging me, but I thought, okay, cool. He's like, he's like, wait, why am I getting a hug for landing it 10 feet from the hole? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's Mike's rant of the week. Thank God we didn't get a Danny Dimes. But Chris, as a Georgia guy, is the master something that you're still trying to go to or something you ever considered you want to be a part of or anything like that? Is the what? I'm sorry. The Masters. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, it's tough to get in there. I, I don't even – look at the ticket prices right i mean i i enjoy golf but i don't follow it like wholeheartedly but i would definitely love to make it there one day 100 that'd be fun yeah well well chris it was great having you on we're definitely gonna have to have you on again here soon you, chris and uh we appreciate uh you talking with us and playing stump the squad um next time we gotta beat mike so 
It was yeah, great talking with you, man. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, fellas, it was a great show. We'll, we'll, we'll see everyone here next week. Make sure you follow us on all our socials, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and iHeart. Man, that's getting tough to do. Make sure you follow us on, on there. We'll see you guys here next week. Go Liverpool. One more chance, boys.